This is the word of the Lord from Leviticus 7. Now this is a law of the fellowship sacrifice that someone may present to the Lord. If he presents it for thanksgiving, in addition to the thanksgiving sacrifice, he is to present unleavened cakes mixed with olive oil, unleavened wafers coated with oil, and well-kneaded cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. He is to present as his offering cakes of unleavened bread with his thanksgiving sacrifice of fellowship. From the cakes, he is to present one portion of each offering as a contribution to the Lord. It will belong to the priest who splatters the blood of the fellowship offering. It is his. The meat of his thanksgiving sacrifice of fellowship must be eaten on the day he offers it. He may not leave any of it until morning. If the sacrifice he offers is a vow or a free will offering, it is to be eaten on the day he presents his sacrifice, and what is left over may be eaten on the next day. But what remains of the sacrificial meat by the third day must be burned. If any of the meat of his fellowship sacrifice is eaten on the third day, it will not be accepted. It will not be credited to the one who presents it. It is repulsive. The person who eats any of it will bear his iniquity. Amen. Thank you, Bonnie. Great job reading that. That was great. Made me hungry and ready for lunch, uh, as much of Leviticus does. Welcome. If you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to have you with us. And I want to say two quick things before we dive into our passage for today. First of all, yes, as my wife just mentioned, this past week, we celebrated 21 years of marriage. And could you imagine, like I have a lot of energy now, could you imagine her being married to 19-year-old me? So <clears throat> the, the Lord has worked through her in powerful ways, and I mean this sincerely, that um, any good that I am able to do to serve our church family, it is only because of the way that she loves and cares for me and our family and her amazing gifts as well. And so uh, she is a woman to be highly honored and praised, and I'm deeply grateful for you. So love you very much. Also, two things I, said, I mentioned, that was one, <clears throat> that one was free of charge, Second one is uh, just a quick note as we're heading into summer, particularly for those of you who may be joining us via the live stream. Um, you know, we've been doing this live stream thing for, it's been well over two years now. Uh, historically, I actually used to be kind of against live streams because uh, I viewed it as maybe more of a way to not have to put on clothes and just stay in pajamas and you know, watch the you know, church from home. And obviously these last few years have changed a lot of things and have made it so that people, whether it's for health concerns or other reasons, might need to join online. And um, I'm really grateful for the technology that allows us to have that facsimile of connection. But how many of you know, and for those of you on the live stream know, that it's not quite fully the real thing, that the Lord made us embodied creatures and to be together is such a valuable and important thing. And so there's just two things. For those of you who are joining us online, if there are um, ways that we can still love you, serve you, connect with you, would love to hear from you because it's hard to know exactly who's online. You know, YouTube will show us some stats and it's like, here's some people in Seattle who are watching the service and here's some people in like Finland who are watching the service. And it's like, 
man, enjoy your lutefisk or whatever's going on there on your Sunday morning, you're watching it, but we would love to know who it is that this is serving. So if you could please send a quick email just to connect at soundcitybiblechurch.com. We'd love to hear from you and say, hey, this is like my primary way right now. But if for some of you, it's maybe kind of just uh, a, an easy habit to fall into instead of saying, no, I need to get up and go be with the people of God. I would just love to lovingly implore you to let us walk you through that of like, hey, let's, let's have you be a part of the in-person worship service. The other thing though is, is that the live stream is very volunteer heavy. And as we head into summer and with some people moving and volunteers having some vacation time, um, it is possible we won't be able to provide the live stream, at least not the way that we have in the same way going forward. And so maybe for some of you, hey, that's an opportunity for you to come get plugged in in person. Maybe for others of you, hey, this is something that you could help serve in and take care of those who are joining us that way. All that to say, we'd love to be able to worship the Lord together. We'd love to be able to find ways to continue to love and serve the body, even if it maybe is going to look a little bit different here going into the summer. With that said, <clears throat> something that you can't do over a live stream is eat barbecued meat. Leviticus chapter 3. Will you uh, pray with me and pray for me? Uh, I'm really excited to share with you about this fellowship offering here today. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who invites us into your peace, and into fellowship with you. We thank you, Lord God, that you did not stay far off and distant when we were in our sin and when we were in our folly, but Lord, you moved toward us with grace and with truth and with mercy and with love. And Lord, those of us who have come to know you, Lord, we are grateful that we are called by your name. And Lord, for anyone who's here today that does not yet know you, Lord, I ask and pray that you would give them faith to believe to trust that you are the God who loves us and forgives us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. For myself, Lord, help me to teach with clarity and with passion only that which is uh, in line with the truth of your word. And we give this time to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, as my dear wife mentioned, last week uh, we had the opportunity to travel to South Carolina for the, the network, the church network that we're part of, the Harbor Network, hosts an annual retreat for the lead pastors and their wives. And so we gathered together with um, really some dear friends that we have made over the years as a part of being in this network in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Has anyone ever been to Hilton Head, South Carolina? Beautiful part of the world. Uh, yeah, the people from South Carolina have been for, yeah, congratulations. Uh, you get the least uh, distance traveled award. Now, I've never been there before. Um, I got really close to a gator. That was exciting. Uh, we didn't have those growing up in Alaska. We had moose, which are like the exact opposite of gators, uh, but they both can kill you. And I still tried to get really close to a gator and still had, you know, like sunshine and relaxing. And the, the network does this great job of having spiritual enrichment time, you know, devotions, worship, teaching, and then afternoon relaxing time, just hanging out by the beach or taking a nap. And then the, the real thing is the evening hangs, the evening hangout sessions where, you know, some of the fellas and a few of the ladies, we might enjoy a cigar together, a burnt offering to the Lord, and just fellowship and visit late into the evening and just being together. And on the last night, actually it was the, the, the day after the retreat got done, um, Aaron Lynn and I and some of her cousins, we, we stayed for an extra day. And there on the beach, we're, we're playing with the kids and the waves are, are happening. And, and, and there on the beach, I noticed, oh, they're setting up for a beach wedding. 
And it, was, it looked really picturesque. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. And, and everyone, the you know, bridesmaids and the groomsmen, they all looked sharp. And the bride looked beautiful. And I'm watching as the waves are kind of washing up behind them. And they're doing the wedding ceremony. And then we, we got done playing in the ocean. And they all went over to this pavilion area. And they had a dinner. And they were dancing. And they were just having a really, really good time. And, and Aaron's cousin's uh, husband, Scott, and I were sitting there kind of on a bench right nearby where the people started leaving. And so we just decided to conduct an informal survey as people were leaving. We're saying things like, how was the wedding? How it looked amazing. And they were like, oh my goodness, it was perfect. They said it was just so great being there on the beach and the waves and the flowers and the food and the music and the food was delicious and everyone just had such a good time. And even the kids, I mean, you know it was a good wedding when the little kids were like, that was fun. Like, good job, stranger couple from South Carolina that I'd never met before. They threw a really good party and everyone who was there said it was just perfect. So here's a question for you. What was the last situation or the last time that you were in a a moment where you're like, man, that was just perfect? A wedding, a party you went to, maybe you had a meal with some friends and everyone left and you're like, man, that was just amazing. The weather's getting nice finally. Yesterday afternoon, I took a nap in a hammock in the backyard. Oh, it was, other than like the little sunburn I got on my belly because I forgot to put a shirt on, but like, it was so perfect. Anyone know a situation like that? Just, oh, it's so great. Now, here's a question. What if we asked the ancient Israelites to describe just that perfect moment? Everything is exactly where it should be. Everything is in its proper place. I wonder if an ancient Israelite might answer with something like this. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay its hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And his sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and all the priest. He'll burn it on the altar as a food offering and a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. Does just get any better than that, friends? You know, it's one of the reasons why the book of Leviticus is so strange to us because the cultural customs are just so different, just so foreign, just so ancient. But before we make fun of their customs, remember, up until very recently, as a way to tell the bride and the groom that we were happy for them getting married, we would pelt them with rice, okay? And we only changed it because now we care about seagulls, I guess, or something, I don't know. Cultures have weird customs. People do weird things to celebrate. The, the bride and the groom, you know, rubbing cake on each other's face at the, at the reception, right? We do weird, strange things that don't make sense to other cultures. But for the ancient Israelites, this is a description of just a perfect coming together. God, the priests, the people in this fellowship offering. Let me give you some data, some information about the fellowship offering, okay? This is the third offering that we've looked at, the burnt offering and then the grain offering. Pastor Jason taught us last week. This fellowship offering, like those other two, is a voluntary offering. It is given freely. 
Uh, next week, when we look at the sin offering, you will see that that one is mandatory. When someone violates a commandment of the Lord, a sin offering must be made. The fellowship offering is not like that. It's just because you want to. You may also have heard in our scripture reading here a moment ago in chapter 7 that there might be three possible motives for giving a fellowship offering. One of them is thanksgiving. It's to simply say, I want to offer you thanks, Lord. You've given me everything. Here's some back of what you've given to me. The second reason, and we heard this in our scripture reading, might be to make a vow. Lord, I believe that you're calling me to to really uh, make a concerted commitment to you for this season or in a particular area. So let me offer this sacrifice to you as a way of saying, I'm all in, Lord. I'm committed to this vow. And the third motive is just free will for no reason other than I just love you, God. I want to give you a gift. I want to give you an offering because you're so good. So this is the heart behind the fellowship offering. Now, each of these words, each of these offerings, I should say, we we translate them into English as burnt offering or grain offering or fellowship offering. But actually, in the original Hebrew, each one is only one single word. And the word for the fellowship offering in Hebrew is the word shalem which might sound really similar to a Hebrew word, even if you don't know biblical Hebrew, the word shalom. You guys, you guys heard that word before? A common greeting, a common blessing in the Hebrew language. And we're going to circle back around on this, but you might know that the word shalom or shalem, because of its broader meaning, it then can be translated in a variety of different ways. So the CSB that I'm reading from and teaching from today translates it as the fellowship offering, but you might hear other names like the peace offering. Does anyone, if you have like a paper Bible, your translation, does it read peace offering? It's a pretty common one. You might also hear uh, it called the, the offering of a sacred greeting because of its relation to the word shalom. You might also hear it called the meal of alliance because it was shared between people when they made a, a vow or a covenant together. Or it's called a sacrifice of well-being. Scholars like to outdo each other with getting complicated with the names on it. But one last thing you should know about this fellowship offering is it is a shared meal. It is a meal that is shared together. And if you look through chapter 3 and in chapter 7, you'll see that the first portion of this shared meal belongs to God. Leviticus 3, I just read it a moment ago, but it talks about the fat, the, the, the fat portion belongs to God. Now remember, friends, Unlike the pagan deities of the surrounding cultures, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he does not need to eat. He is not dependent upon the offerings and the sacrifices of the people. But this is a symbolic way of God saying, you offer up to me the fat. You offer up to me, it's the best portion. It's the fatty, you know, the the really nutrient-rich portion. You offer that up to me as a way of saying, here, God, this is your part. So God needs nothing, He is not dependent upon our offerings, but it's a symbolic way of saying God is joining in this meal. There's also a portion that belongs to the priests. We might have heard a little bit of that in our scripture reading in verse 14, where it talks about if you bring cakes of unleavened bread, or actually even leavened bread is allowed too. You can get the the crackers, or you can get the fluffy Olive Garden breadsticks. Either one you can bring for this offering, and a portion of it goes to the priests. If you scroll down to like verses 31 and 32, it talks about the animals that are sacrificed, the breast meat and the right thigh meat. That belongs to the priests and to their families as well. Because friends, Jason touched on this last week, but just to reiterate, this is how the priests 
ate and fed their families. The people would, I mean, it's, it is so, um, it may, might be hard to wrap your mind around again because we don't live in an agricultural society the same way, but the, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, didn't do all the farming, didn't do all that other work. What they did is they received the contributions from the people, and that is how the leaders of worship would feed their families. And the principle still applies to this day when the Apostle Paul says that those who preach the gospel can earn their living from proclaiming the gospel. I'm grateful and blessed to be in a position where the church pays me to be able to take care of my family, to preach the gospel, to lead and serve and to care for the church. And the principle comes from this. It's a huge blessing, and I want you to know that I don't take it for granted. So the priests get a portion, but the people get a portion. In in Leviticus 7, verses 15 through 19, talks about how the people bring the meat of their sacrifice and it must be eaten on the day that he offers it. Don't leave any of it till morning. This is not like deli meat that you're going to slice up and you're going to make it into a sandwich next week. It's like, hey, this is cooked right now. Come and get it. The dinner bell is ringing. You can wait until the next day possibly, but on the third day, it's got to be burned. We're not saving any of this for more than three days. But I love in verse 19 where it says... Everyone who is clean may come and eat of the meat. Everyone who is ritually clean, ceremonially clean, gets to come and share in this meal. There's a Jewish scholar, Baruch Levine, he writes this about the the, um, fellowship offering. He says, Whereas the burnt offering of chapter 1 was completely consumed by the altar fire and in this way given over to God entirely, The fellowship offering was a sacred meal in which sections of the sacrifice were shared by the priests and the donors of the offering. Only certain fatty portions of the animal were burned on the altar as God's share. And whereas the grain offering that we looked at last week could be eaten only by the priests, the eating of the fellowship offering was not so restricted. Thus, it clearly represents a distinctive mode of sacrifice whose presentation expressed its purpose. Here it is. Here's the purpose to afford the worshipers the experience of joining together with the priests in a sacred meal at which God himself was perceived to be the honored guest. Another scholar, Jacob Milgram, who's written literally 2,000 plus pages on the book of Leviticus, Jacob Milgram writes this. He says, except for kings and aristocrats, meat was eaten only on rare occasions, usually surrounding a celebration. Because a whole animal was too much for just the nuclear family, it had to be a household or a clan celebration. All, here it is, listen to this, all joyous celebrations, like a wedding, would have been marked by a well-being offering, the joyous sacrifice par excellence. This is the good stuff, guys. This is the good, this is the party. This is when Oh, it's, everything is right. Everything is at peace. Everything is shalom. The fellowship offering is about shalom. So, Like those people leaving the wedding, the people who were leaving this sacrifice would look at each other and be, that was awesome. We had bread. We had meat. God was there. The priests were there. The people were there. Everything was as it should be. Let me, let me talk about shalom for a minute because this is that word that the, the sacrifice comes from. Shalom, you may know, is most commonly translated as peace. But our English word peace does not go far enough to convey the meaning of what shalom truly is. 
Some of you parents of young kids, it's like, the kids aren't fighting. We're at peace, right? Like, that's a starting point. But it's like, shalom is more like, the kids aren't fighting and their room is clean. It's something like that. <laughs> right? Can I get an amen from any of the parents here? It's like, it's like well-being. It's, it's blessing. I know that sometimes we can, we can make fun of, you know, like the Instagram hashtag blessed thing because it's, it's so often very self-serving, but there is something very true and very biblical about, man, there's health. There, we, had, we just ate meat. We are blessed by the Lord to have that provision. I had that feeling yesterday when I told you I took a nap in the hammock. I'm like, I have a hammock. This is a blessing. I didn't used to have a hammock, and now the favor of the Lord shines upon me. Also in the word shalom, there's the idea of security. I'm not worried. I'm not fearful. I'm not anxious. There's wholeness. I love the word wholeness when we think of shalom. It's just all things are right. Even like what we were just singing about a moment ago. Christ makes all things new again. Everything is as it should be. Everything is whole. Everything is safe. We are richly blessed and we have every reason to give thanks to God. This meal, this sacrifice reminds us that in the presence of God, there is shalom. In the presence of God, there is security and peace. In the presence of God, there's wholeness and well-being and all things are right. That's the point of this sacrifice. So if I can move from teaching to meddling, I want to ask you, how is your well-being? How are you doing? We all know the kind of casual greeting. Hey, how's it going? Good. End of discussion, right? There's a time and a place for that. You know, the produce section of Fred Meyer or something like that, right? Hey, how's it going? Well, I just need to bear my heart. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was just trying to check out some Kiwis here. Like, leave me alone, right, weirdo? But there's a time and a place to look at somebody and say, hey, how, how are you really doing? So if you're taking notes, I just want to invite you. Pause for a second here. Pause. Let's just run a, a check. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. This is a time for reflection. How, how are you doing physically? How's your physical well-being? Are you experiencing shalom or is there something that's not as it should be? Is there pain in your body? Is there weakness? How are you doing financially? Inflation, have you worried? Anybody fill up their gas tank recently? Anybody fill up your gas tank and go to Costco on Friday like I did? No shalom. How are you doing relationally? For those of you who are married, <clears throat> your relationship with your spouse, for those of you in a dating relationship, how, how are you doing? How are your friends? How's your, for those of you who are students, like in school, how, how's, how's it going with your teacher? Are you missing some friends? Kind of, how, how are things going there relationally? Parents of adult children, how's that going? How are you? Emotionally, mentally, how are you? 
What woke you up in the night? What kept you from falling asleep? What, if you, what is it that you think about that gives you that pit in the bottom of your stomach? How are you spiritually? Does God feel close? Does God love you? Is he distant? Is he displeased? How is your well-being? How are you doing? Do you ever stop and think about it? Or maybe is anybody kind of like me where it's just so easy to stay busy, so easy to stay distracted, so easily to run from one thing to the next? Let me ask this question. Is anybody like me, just being honest here, where when I do have a moment to analyze my well-being and I, and I can see that something's out of whack or something's maybe out of, out of place, I'm not experiencing the shalom that I could, how many of you, you can raise your hand on this, are kind of like me where you want to attack the circumstances themselves? Oh, financially, I'm not doing so good. Okay, time to tighten the belt and budget harder. And sorry, kids, we're not going to eat for a couple weeks or whatever. I'm sorry, eat out, I meant, for a couple weeks or, or just not eat for a couple weeks, right? Uh, you know, how many of you are like, oh, that relationship is not doing so well, so I need to like send him an email or call him or deal with it right now. I got to attack these things head on or spiritually, I'm just not doing so well. So I'm going to just, you know, stop listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers and only listen to Chris Tomlin for a couple of weeks. You should stop listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers, period, because they're awful. But like, like just, I'm just going to only listen to Chris Tomlin. I'm only going to listen to Bach. I'm going to listen to Bach hymns is all I'm going to listen to for a week. And really, I'm just going to attack the circumstances. How, is anybody like that where it's, man, I'm not doing well, so I need to fix my circumstances. You know what's really interesting about the book of Leviticus? I mentioned two weeks ago that the book of Leviticus was all written down or all given in a one-month period when the people of Israel were where? Where were the people of Israel? In the desert at Mount Sinai. They have not yet moved into the promised land, the land flowing with what? Milk and honey. They were promised that land, but they are still decades away from it. They are still experiencing food and water shortages here in Leviticus. They are still living in tents as a nomadic people in the Sinai Desert. They still have enemies who from time to time come and attack them. The circumstances of the lives of the children of Israel as we find them in Leviticus, they're not great. And yet here in this moment, God says, why don't you come in and let's share a meal together. We're all going to walk away at the end of this and we can say, it is well with my soul. What if our well-being, what if our shalom had far less to do with our circumstances and far more to do with our awareness of being in the presence of God? You know, God set his presence up in the middle of his people in the tabernacle, did he not? But then God goes even one step further in bringing his ultimate presence through the person and the work of Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus is the true tabernacle. Jesus is now God moving even closer to us. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, 
What is one of the things that they accuse Jesus of being? They accuse Jesus of being what? A glutton and a drunkard. Do you know why? Because Jesus was so often having meals of fellowship with people. A shared meal where everyone walked away at the end of it going, that was good. This might be irreverent, and if it is, I'm sorry, but I believe that the Bible teaches us that Jesus was a fun hang. (laughs) That people felt loved and welcomed, and there was joy, and they were there, and they were with him. And even Jesus, on the last night before he went to the cross to pay for our sins, Jesus is with his disciples, speaking to them in John 14. And he says, you know what? My peace, my shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give to you. And I don't give to you the same way that the world gives you peace. So don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Why would Jesus need to say, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful? It's not a trick question because our hearts are so often troubled and fearful. And Jesus said, I have come into the world. That which the fellowship offering was only hinting at, I have come to give you in the full. Later in John 16, Jesus continues. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You may have shalom. Don't forget it. You will have hardship. You will have suffering in this world. So take heart. Be courageous, Jesus says. I have conquered the world. And later that night, Jesus is arrested. And his circumstances went from bad to worse as he is whipped and flogged and mocked and spit upon and betrayed and crucified, nailed to a cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins. He is the fellowship offering. He is the one who is sacrificed so that we can be ultimately washed clean, forgiven, and brought into right relationship with God once and for all. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to prove that everything he claimed was true. And now, friends, if you have put your trust in Jesus, even when your circumstances in this world are difficult, you can have shalom with God because of what Jesus has done for us. The Apostle Paul reflects on this even in Colossians 1. God making all things right through Jesus. He said God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile everything. How many things, church family? All things to himself. Whether it's things here on earth or spiritual heavenly things, by what? By making shalom through his blood that was shed on the cross. It's the simplest of simple messages that I can give you today. But it's one that's so hard, at least for me, probably for you, to remember in the moment that no matter what your circumstances, the good days, the bad days, a nap in a hammock or a storm at sea, you are in shalom because of what Christ has done for you. That's what the fellowship offering is about. Lord, it is well with my soul. There's war. There's racism. There's political upheaval. There's inflation. There's 
all manner of ills in this world, and yet before God, it is well. Can I just ask, quick show of hands, how many of you sometimes struggle to believe this? I want to pause for just a moment. I told you I was going to go from teaching to just meddling. Let's take a moment. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes, take a couple big deep breaths. If you want to, as, a, as an act of kind of openness to the Lord, just kind of put your hands out open in front of you like this. Let me just pray over you. Lord, from a human perspective, there's a lot of things that are just not well with us. But Jesus, you say that we have been seated in heavenly places with you right now. And what is true about us spiritually is actually more true. It's more true about us than even our earthly circumstances would dictate. And so, Lord, I ask and I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work that only you can do. That you would enable us to let go of the circumstances that we try to manage and we try to control. And we would trust that when we gaze upon the face of our Savior Jesus, we are invited into a fellowship offering where it's well. It is well with us, Lord. Apostle Paul writes about the peace that surpasses our understanding. A shalom, if I could paraphrase it, a shalom that makes no sense. Lord, we want to take hold of that today in this moment. We want to receive that as your gift to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me offer you a couple of brief instructions here to think about this as we, there's a lot more work that the Spirit wants to do in us, and so maybe there's some follow-up needed, maybe there's some other things. Well, let me just invite you to three things briefly to practice shalom. Number one is this. Direct your attention more on Christ than your circumstances. Now, listen, does Jesus care about your circumstances? It's not, again, this is not a trick question. Does Jesus care about your circumstances? Yes, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. He says, your heavenly Father knows you need those things. But what Jesus says is you've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added unto you. They'll be taken care of as well. So yes, maybe if finances are tight, yes, maybe you need to redo your budget. If your physical health is not good, yeah, maybe you need to go see a doctor or a natural path or start exercising, whatever. That's totally, it's, I'm not saying ignore your circumstances. But what I am saying is our circumstances have this way I've just wanted to take over all of our mental energy. And I encourage you to set your eyes upon Christ, our perfect fellowship offering. Remind yourself. Every time that stress comes up, every time you're thinking about that thing, every time you're like, oh, I gotta do this thing, let that drive you to your Savior. Number two, allow your heart to genuinely rest. Here's what I mean. Um, the, the regular practice of Sabbath. 
the regular practice of saying, and I, here's, let me, maybe some of you never thought about this, but this fellowship offering is like a celebration. It's a joyful, peaceful time. You're not thinking about other things. You're setting aside your regular work. You're not doing your regular work. Well, maybe one of the things you need to do is you need to actually write down on a piece of paper, when I am Sabbathing, here are the 11 things I will not do. I do not check my email on the Sabbath. God be praised, okay? Uh, I have been pretty diligent about that because a lot of my week involves emailing and communicating with people and all that stuff. And when Sabbath comes for me and my family, just don't do it. Let me, let me just say one other thing real briefly on this. And this, this might kind of push out on the envelope a little bit. I'm not being a conspiracy theorist when I say, <laughs> that's always a dangerous way to start this. Um, we live in a society, we live in an entire environment that is designed to stress you out so that you will click on things and buy things. This is not, like, I'm not being a, a, a Looney Tune when I say that. This is, like, literally coming up in Senate hearings that the social media environment, cable news, radio, everything is designed to stress you out so that you will spend money. I encourage you to do whatever you have to do to get yourself out of that environment as much as you can. Get off of social media. Take a break from cable news for like maybe the rest of your earthly life. Uh, like just whatever you need to do to shut these things down. Because again, I, I'm telling you, everything is designed. It's those, it's that, what is, which, which one is it? Dopamine? What, which one caused it? No, that's the one. They, is, Anton, which one are they trying to get us? Dopamine. Thank you. I got a person with a degree backing me up on my use of the word dopamine. Allow your heart to rest. Prioritize sleep. Prioritize prayer. I, I can confess to you, there's some mornings that come in, it's like, all right, I got emails to answer, I've got a sermon to write, and then I'm like, oh, I should probably like take a half hour and just pray. That would be like a good pastor thing to do, right? Nobody would be mad at me for taking a half hour to pray before I answered your emails, right? But whatever that stupid little voice inside of my mind, like, well, yeah, but maybe I'll just answer like four of the emails first and then I'll pray. Just, just pray, just pray first. Sleep, put your phone away, just go to sleep. It's okay. God's got you. And then lastly, number three, to practice shalom, share a meal with somebody. It's one of the most sacred things that you can do. One of the most sacred things. And we just read about it here in Leviticus 3 and 7. Jesus shared a lot of meals with others. It's very countercultural in the Pacific Northwest to go knock on your neighbor's door and be like, hi, would you like to have a meal together? They'd be like, I'm calling the cops. Do it. After church, find somebody like, hey, would you like to have lunch together? Could we exchange, you know, emails or phone numbers or something? And he's like, whoa, what's wrong with that person? Just do it. The presence of God, when his people get together for a meal, God is with us. And we get to live out the spirit and the heart of this fellowship offering every time that we get with our community group. We get with brothers and sisters in Christ and we share a meal. And even now as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord to share this meal together, this spiritual meal, I invite you to prepare your heart to receive from Jesus his hand of fellowship and his shalom. <clears throat> I'm going to pray from Psalm 16 to close out our time here. I invite the musicians to come and Pastor Jason to come lead us in communion. I invite you to close your eyes one more time and let the words of Psalm 16 wash over you. I will bless the Lord. He guides me, even at night when my thoughts are running wild. I will let the Lord guide me. 
And because he's right beside me, nothing will shake me. My heart is happy. My entire self rejoices. Even my body rests securely. You won't abandon me to Sheol. And I know this because you raised Jesus from the dead. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. So Lord, may that prayer be more true of us today than it was yesterday as we learn to live in your peace and your shalom. In Jesus' name, amen.